morning. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, sounded a little pitiful this morning. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. I am so glad to be back uh, gathered with y'all this morning. Uh, I am so thankful uh, that we were, uh, that I was allowed to be able to go home uh, and help my mom get my dad settled back in, uh, and he is doing well with that. So I am thankful that we were able to still do some worship online, uh, and I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be worshiping again here in this beautiful space uh, on this beautiful sunshiny day. Uh, the wind's blowing a little bit, so it's a little cooler, um, but it is an absolute gorgeous day because God gave us this wonderful day together. Uh, as you can see, we have Stations of the Cross set up uh, here in the arbor um, for anyone who would like to walk through uh, the Passion Narrative. Uh, we have uh, that set up, so you're welcome to come do that. Invite your friends uh, and the community to come out and uh, take part in this. Um, this year we have added a box for prayers, so if anyone has a prayer, they're welcome to put that in the box, and I will uh, gather those up weekly uh, and pray over those. Uh, and if you come out here and you don't have any prayers, I just ask you to take a, a moment to pray over the prayers that are in the box. There may be some in there. Uh, God knows who they are, uh, so we can just say a prayer over those that may be in the box. Um, we also did put a donation box up um, just for anybody that did feel like donating, if they did come out, um, there was an option for that. But this is all free of charge. Uh, we're not expecting anybody to pay for anything to be able to come and just be in the presence um, in a holy place. Um, we also had the labyrinth uh, out on the basketball court. I am uh, working on getting that sign redone. Uh, the winter wasn't very good to it, uh, all that wind, so we'll take care of that. Uh, and we're going to continue to worship here in the arbor. Uh, we're going to do it at 11 o'clock, uh, and we'll be meeting shortly. Uh, those meeting invites will be going out uh, this week uh, to start uh, seeing what our next steps are uh, from here. So I just ask that you be in prayer for where we go and how we begin to come back together and worship, uh, not in just this space, but in back inside the building. So let's uh, be in prayer for that. I have no other announcements this morning. Are there any others? Well, seeing none, let me begin with a prayer. Let us pray. God of glory and might, speak to us with your wisdom that we might truly hear you. Display your majesty that we might truly see you. Transform the chaos of our lives with the clarity of your call, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our song of preparation this morning is How Great Thou Art.
What a great thing to remember how great God is. Uh, we have many people on our prayer list, uh, and we have got some updates on others, uh, but we have those that, uh, that we are praying for, uh, for health and recovery. Are there any others we need to add to the list or update this morning? Yes, yes, for all those that are going to be returning to face-to-face -face instruction. Uh, so we'll be in prayer for the teachers and all those that work at the school along with the students. That's going to be a new transition, so most of them. Yes, yes. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes, yes, we will definitely be in prayer for all of those. Any others? Well, let us take our joys and our concerns to the Lord this morning. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we have come this morning to worship here in this space, here watching this video. We've come to hear your word. We've come to give you our joys and thank you for those things that we have. And we've come to bring names before you of those who are sick, those who are in need, and those that we love and care for. Lord, as we have gathered as a community both in person and online, we know that you are there with us. Even when we may not know that you're there. Lord, there has been so much grief and pain and loss, but you've been in the midst of it all. There's been celebration and there's been joys. And you've been there in it all. So Lord, this morning as we give you the names that are on our hearts and minds, we ask for your healing, your peace, your mercy, and your grace. And Lord, we say thank you for what you have given us what you have given our family, our friends, our community, our world. And Lord, we come and pray all this in Jesus' name. And then we pray together with the saints who are gathered today and with the saints who have gone before us. And we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, Warrant in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom. 
kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We are continually grateful for the support that uh, everyone gives to Lovejoy to be able to do what we do for the community and as a gathered body of Christ. So let me offer this prayer this morning for the gifts, tithes, and offerings. Let us pray. May the gifts we bring be gifts of love. May the offerings we share be offerings of our hearts. And may each gift be blessed by your grace, that others may know the truth of your wisdom and your love. Amen. I did forget to mention at the beginning, we still have the Ash Wednesday crosses uh, at the back, so I invite you to make sure you take one of those um, and so, as a lasting memory of where we come from. Um, and my hope is as this ages, the dust will come off, uh, knowing that uh, where, we, uh, where we came from is dust, and to dust we shall return. So please, uh, take one of those uh, if you have not already uh, received one. Uh, and feel free to grab one for someone else uh, if you know somebody would like and, uh, to have one of those. So we are in the middle or the third Sunday of a series called Believe, uh, where we, we hear from stories from different people that were at the cross or that were in the life of Jesus there at the end. Uh, and today we're going to hear uh, from Pilate. Um, because we don't have a good screen uh, that, that's bright enough to see everything in the day, we're going to listen to the story of Pilate. Uh, but if you have a chance, it will be on the video also, uh, if you want to see uh, the, the portrayal of Pilate uh, for today. So uh, now let's listen to the story of Pilate. You should have it on your I worked hard for power, played the game well, did all the necessary bidding. I compromised here and there, but only with the promise of the greater good on the other side. I earned my power. Jesus didn't seem to agree with me. The day he appeared before me, I felt pity for him at first glance. He's quiet, unassuming, unsettling to be around. He challenged my power, privately, I might add, more than anyone ever had. Certainly, more than anyone whose life I held in my hands. He looked me right in the face and said, You would not have any authority over me had it not been given you from up above. The crowd and charged him with a, a laundry list of crimes. And I had demanded that he uh, 
tell me whether the charges were true. And the soldiers jeered at him for fun. And there he stood, the whole world against him. And felt no need to answer any of us. And that's when I knew this is what they were afraid of. What they were willing to turn the whole city upside down for. I saw the blood pool at his feet. His eye swelled closed and his, his lip split. Right there. Three days later, the tomb was empty. And my city filled up with an angry mob and, and believers. I don't call myself a believer, but I know this one thing to be true. There is not water enough in all the world to wash my hands clean of this. The story of Pilate. We can find it in Matthew and John. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 27 this morning. We'll be in John chapter 18, chapter 14, and chapter 20. So it's been said that hindsight is 2020. And while nobody in their right mind wants to go back and relive the deadly and destructive year of 2020, there continue to be insights and clarified understandings that come forth as we get more distance from the actual event. The same could be true for Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who experienced the events surrounding the first Easter in a way that could have caused him to ruminate on them for some time. While Pilate's decisions about Jesus certainly impacted that important weekend now referred to as the Easter story, what Pilate encountered in the presence, words and actions of Jesus undoubtedly impacted him in some way. Although historical inferences do not trace a future being believing faith back to Pilate's life, his encounters with Jesus likely impacted him unlike any other that ever crossed the Roman governor's path. 
Now, while most of Pilate's mentions, mentions in the Bible revolve around the trial, the crucifixion, and the burial of Jesus, there are other historical accounts that help paint a picture of who this man was and what may have motivated some of his actions within the biblical records. Historians throughout the ages have cobbled together credible information that gives a consensus on how the man known as Pontius Pilate was viewed. This governor of Rome had a brutal reputation. He was a bloodthirsty and cruel man who showed little to no weakness or mercy. However, he also was on the edge of overstepping his bounds with his ruler, Tiberius Caesar, the reigning emperor of Rome at the time. See, Tiberius wanted what all emperors of Rome wanted once power and prestige were established throughout the empire. He wanted peace. And Pilate, in some of his harsh rule, calls the Jewish people over whom he was put in command to riot and complain in ways that resulted in reports getting back to Tiberius Caesar. Pilate was put on notice. If he could not keep the peace appropriately, he would be moved, removed and banished from all positions of power. His career would be shipwrecked on the rocks of his own ego-laden temper. Therefore, when Jesus was standing before Pilate on the eve of the Passover, Pilate was walking a political tightrope. And the last thing he needed was another complaint from the Jewish mob to make its way up the line to Tiberius. And Matthew's gospel gives us the account in chapter 27 and records a unique detail worth consideration as we see the scene of Jesus before Pilate unfold. It says in 27.11, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But Jesus gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides while, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate's wife sent word to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Pilate was amazed at how he perceived Jesus to carry himself in such a literal life and death situation. And only Matthew records the detail that Pilate's wife 
had such a disturbing dream about Jesus that she interrupted Pilate while he was conducting official Roman business. The phrase, sitting on the judgment seat, in 2719, tells us more than simply Pilate's posture and location. It lets us know that the trial of Jesus was underway. They were on the record and not in a moment of legal recess for Pilate's wife to send word to him in a way that interrupted Pilate in this moment is a detail that lets us know what a monumental impact that dream about Jesus must have had on her. Romans were known to be people who were superstitious. Dreams meant something to this group of people for the Roman cult, from the Roman culture. They were the kind of people who usually were inclusive when it came to appeasing a god of any kind, type, or people beyond just Rome. From a Roman's perspective, they covered their bases and took a better safe-than-sorry approach to all things concerning gods, the mystical, the holy, or the sacred. They paid attention to signs, wonders, and omens that might point to any possible areas of being susceptible to something causing defeat or victory. Now, this cultural characteristic of the Romans, coupled with Pilate's internal tensions, he felt politically from Tiberius, whom he answered to, likely stressed Pilate's desire to tread lightly and cautiously in this particular problem at hand. Pilate wanted to handle the situation before him without inciting a religious riot in the middle of their Passover while not stepping in a proverbial bear trap that could snap shut, not only on his political career, but also on his comfortable status. In life, he had to be careful with Jesus and the complaints levied against him by the Jews. See, Pilate had a good thing going in his life. Vocationally, he was on track to success, power, and prestige. Subsequently, his standard of living and the luxuries he and his wife experienced were something that they both had grown accustomed to. And neither one were interested in forfeiting that. Pilate did not want to do anything to rock the boat when it came to his social, financial, or political status. So the last thing Pilate needed was another complaint from the Jewish mob to make its way up the line. And now his wife is interpreting his courtroom, interrupting his courtroom, to tell him what he already knew to have nothing to do with this righteous man. Now, Pilate and his wife were both likely aware and intrigued by Jesus and his reputation. And it's not out of the question that they had multiple conversations about Jesus and the events that surrounded him. Jerusalem and the nearby countryside had been buzzing about the news of Jesus' miraculous healings, feedings, and teachings that had the whole region talking about him. Jesus and thousands of other Jews had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And Pilate likely knew of the parade and the triumphal entry that took place as the people shouted, Hosannas! 
to this one named Jesus from Nazareth. And now the one Pilate had heard so much about was standing in his midst. While Pilate likely wanted to distance himself from the whole scene, he was amazed at Jesus nonetheless. While Pilate may not have believed in Jesus, he did believe there was something unique about this one who claimed to be a king of a different kind of kingdom. Now John's gospel shares this perspective that allows for more dialogue to transpire between Jesus and Pilate that the governor likely did not soon forget. It would lead to a decision the world would be forced to remember from that day forward. Tells us the story in John 18, starting in verse 33 uh, through verse, chapter 19, verse 16. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to them, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man from you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple cloak. They came up to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, So I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to the crowd, Behold the man. When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves, and according to that law, he ought to die because he was made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He again entered his headquarters and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know what I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. 
Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Pilate had heard the complaints and was not the slightest bit concerned that Jesus posed a real rebellious threat to Rome. Multiple times in the gospel accounts, Pilate tried to acquit Jesus and send him to the crowds of, on their way. But Pilate just wanted peace. But the Jewish religious leaders were relentless. No matter how badly Pilate tried to distance from Jesus and do just what his wife, Claudia, suggested regarding not having anything to do with Jesus, Pilate had to respond once the angry Jews said, they were, said what they spouted in John 19, 12. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. And everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. At this point, Pilate's hand had been forced. He had to decide as he weighed truth and acquittal of Jesus on one hand and the politics leading to peace with the Jews and ultimately his supervisor on the other. He chose the latter while demonstrating a desire to appear like he was still trying to distance himself from the decision and have nothing to do with his, this righteous man. And Matthew had recorded what Pilate did and said. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then Pilate released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Within the hour, Jesus would be on the cross. Within six hours, Jesus would cry out and give up his spirit in death. Before sundown, another request would be made of Pilate concerning Jesus. And again, Matthew gives us this in chapter 27, 57 through 60. When it was evening... There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Perhaps Pilate thought this act of permission granted to Joseph of Arimathea finally might lead to some peace that Pilate had longed for over the lengthy period of disturbance and death. While exhaling and perhaps ready to pour himself a drink to cap the frenzied day, one more strategic decision would be summoned of Pilate. Matthew concludes the marathon day and the beginning of the next one at the end of chapter 27. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. That decision took place on Saturday following the death. And what was known as Good Friday. But Pilate would soon find out that Sunday's coming. The soldiers trying to secure the tomb of Jesus soon scattered when it was time for Jesus to conquer death. The stone was rolled away as the soldiers scattered in fear and disbelief of what they had just experienced regarding the power of God. His angels were on call that morning and ready to respond at the direction of the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. News of the now empty tomb got back to Pilate. Perhaps Pilate poured himself another drink and pondered all that had amazed him about Jesus when the king of the Jews stood before him, knowing something that all of Rome could not fully comprehend. The prince of peace had done what he had come to do. He conquered sin, death, the cross, and the grave. Jesus showed himself to hundreds after the resurrection, leading to many followers become, becoming known as believers. However, Pilate and his status of belief remain uncertain. History books do not note what he did or did not believe after Jesus. Regardless, a person simply cannot walk away, wash his or her hands, and move on with life without coming to a resolution about what one believes concerning Jesus. We all are in the same boat as Pilate. Not to decide is to decide. Delaying a decision is fine for the moment, but not for eternity. Jesus told Pilate when he stood before him on that good Friday morning, You see that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
And Pilate asked, what is truth? Pilate's eternity hung in the balance based on how he answered this question. So does the fate of all people. Jesus answers that question regarding what truth is in another place recorded in John's gospel. John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If seeing is believing, <coughs> then hopefully Pilate came to grips with what he honestly believed about Jesus when he reflected on his time seeing Jesus face to face and hearing the words that Jesus spoke directly to him. Only God knows what Pilate genuinely believed in his heart about Jesus, and the same is true about you and me. After Jesus' resurrection, and before he would ascend to the Father in heaven, Jesus had this to say about seeing and believing in John 20. Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. What did Pilate believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? May we not wash our hands of this question. May we ponder it. May we come to understand and live what we truly do believe about this one who amazed Pilate. We can learn so much from this story and the many other stories of Jesus. So what do you, what do we believe? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So our hymn of invitation this morning is a song called Believe. Uh, this song is sung by Mumford and Sons. So let us listen and ponder what Pilate pondered and believed. What do we believe? Receive now this benediction as we close our time together and then depart to the music of Selah benediction as you go. Blessed, by God's wisdom, go forth, refreshed and renewed. Called by Christ, go now to serve. And amazed by God's love, go now to love. And may the forces of evil become confused on the way to your house. Amen. <laughs>